Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I cannot imagine that anyone who witnessed this act in history would call it Good Friday, as we so have named this day. We've been in a series called The Famous Last Words, and they're the last words of Jesus on the cross. There's something significant and powerful about a man's last words as he's dying. It reveals his passion, his heart, his commitment, his mission. Today we're going to talk about how last, one of his last words was, it is finished. And what we have done throughout this series and what will culminate throughout this weekend, tomorrow, as well as Sunday, is that we want to reveal what these words really mean so that we don't make any assumptions about them. We want to elaborate on them so as believers in Christ, we understand exactly what they mean to us today. I kind of think that if I went back in time and asked the witnesses of this particular scene and told them not to worry that it was going to be all right, I'd be a little concerned about the misdirected anger that I would experience. It was their son, their brother, their friend, their rabbi, their messiah, their hope that was hanging on a tree unrecognizable undoubtedly hours from his death. Maybe I will speak to them about sacrifice and how the magnitude of this sacrifice will have eternal impact for years and years and years to come. Maybe they would understand a little bit because they were all there that week for their sacrifices. They were into a sacrificial system. They bought a lamb, firstborn lamb, without spot, without wrinkle, and they bought it and they slit its throat and drained his blood, and the blood was supposed to be atonement for their sin. It was supposed to cover their sin. Well, how appropriate was it that when John first saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of this world. You see, they were caught up in a system that year after year, they would come and slaughter a lamb to cover their sin. Jesus showed up on the scene once and for all, not to cover sin, but to remove it. To remove the shackles and the shame and the guilt that sin brings into our lives. It is a powerful thing to begin to understand this as we begin to dive into this word, it is finished. They kind of sense something, but they didn't understand the internal impact of it as we experience it today. And it's an amazing thing when we look at it because there's something that happened. Maybe I would tell them about Genesis, you know, where because of one man, sin entered into this world. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have forgiveness because of our sin. And we can be free and we don't, we don't have to be condemned anymore because of our sin. And I would tell them about this relationship that God had with Adam and how when God called Adam, Adam responded and looked amazingly excited about hearing his voice and walking with him until sin entered. Then he hid from him. And then it was revealed that he was naked. That was like an amazing revelation because Adam, you were naked all along. At that moment, what began to happen was that this gap, this huge gap, almost like a glacier running through land and separating God from man. This relationship that we were supposed to have with God, sin, suddenly got in the way. 
And as we learned last week, it was that moment where he took on sin that everything went silent. Even his father went silent. And it's important for us to understand that when we think about sin, sin is living a life without God. Without a relationship with God. Not, not a relationship that you concoct in your mind. Not a relationship that you establish, a relationship that's been revealed to us neatly in this word, in the Bible. Some of us say we're in a relationship with God, but uh, I got to question it. Because to have a relationship with God is you want to live for God. Your, your life no longer belongs to yourself, so therefore you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now this is really powerful for you to hold on to this. Because a lot of, a lot of us make confession that Jesus is our savior. But there's an invitation that has to be made for him to be your Lord. And that means that you have to surrender and yield to his lordship. That means that it's no longer your plans, your ways, your ideas, but his ways, his plans, his ideas. So sin caused this rift, this huge separation, and somebody had to come. Somebody had to pay this overwhelming accumulation of sin debt that had occurred. For years, since Adam ate of that fruit, Men committed one heinous indiscretion after another that the depravity of it knows no bounds. We ourselves sit in this room having said at one time, I would never do that. And yet we dove into it head on. And then rationalize and justify and explain, I'm not as bad as he is. Or she is. So sin begins to make that separation. We're doomed trying to figure it out on our own. And we would realize that unless someone came and took on this sin, unless someone took on this task, we will be left doomed, no life, this separation, never be able to, to come back to our Heavenly Father. So someone had to come and, and lay in that gap that has separated man from God. You see, you have to understand that the one time that God the Father and God the Son was separate was when he was on that cross and took on the sins of you and me. All of our sins. Past, present, and future. What you're about to do when you leave this place. What you will do tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And by the way, I want to tell you it doesn't surprise God. But he's constantly extending an invitation that you would go and sin no more. That you would reveal to the world that he is alive and well through the way you live, breathe, act, and relate to one another. It's a powerful thing to realize that when God comes into the person's life, when you come face to face with Jesus, anytime you see it in the Bible, people were changed. They were, they were changed. The thief stole no more. The liar lied no more. You know, the harlot didn't go around sleeping with anybody anymore. There was a change that took place. It's like looking in the eyes of Jesus and realizing the magnitude of it. It's, it's a very powerful thing when you begin to understand what happened on that cross. And one of the things that people don't realize is that the Romans got really efficient with crucifixion. He wasn't the only one crucified, but he was the only 
man, God, who was crucified and paid for our sins. Every person that was either conquered or was a criminal was crucified. And they got really good at it to the point where they searched the place where they would drive the nail just to make sure that you stood up there. And then they, at the beginning, they said that they would pull the leg, but they realized that if they pulled the legs and stretched them out, that the person would die a lot sooner. So what they did was they literally bent the legs so that the person who was hanging could lift themselves up to breathe. And then come down and rest. And I got to imagine that every time he lifted himself up to breathe, he thought of you. He thought of me. And he stood up there as long as he had to stay up there until it was finished. You see, you got to understand God's plan from the very beginning. So when you hear these words, it is finished, he's not talking about his life. He's not talking about, oh, I'm dying, it's finished, it's done. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the tax that I came to do. What I came to fulfill, it is finished. I've taken upon every sin, past, present, and future. No longer do you have to kill a lamb. I am the lamb of God. So the big idea is this, if you leave and you have to leave right now, is this. He said it is finished so that you are not. There is hope because of Jesus. So stop struggling with it. Stop trying to get it good. Stop trying to figure it out. It's done. It is finished. This moment in history paves the way for a new life, a new beginning. If you're here today, listen. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to get good. There is no one good except the Father. Not even Jesus when they came to him and said, hey, good guy, how you doing? Like, Whoa, I'm not a good guy. My father's good. It's important for us to realize because some of us think there's a great little book about this small that is so powerful by Andy Stanley. It says good isn't good enough. Good doesn't get us into heaven. Jesus Christ gets us into heaven. And all rogues do not lead to heaven. So, so in your mind, you've concocted this God of your own understanding. And please, hear me out before you shut me down right about now. It's not a God of our understanding. It's a God of the Bible. And in the Bible, he lays out what the relationship with him should be like. It's not a partial relationship. It's not a feel-good, whenever-I-want-to relationship. It's not an Easter Sunday relationship. It's not a good Friday relationship. It's not a Christmas relationship. It's not a holiday relationship. It's an everyday relationship. Amen. At that time, only one person can enter the Holy of Holies. It was the high priest. Sacrifice was made, and he would go in, and he would sprinkle the blood, and it was accepted or not accepted, depending on his condition. For those who do not know, he also had a rope tied to his ankle in case he was in sin and it wasn't accepted and he dropped dead on the spot. I kind of love the Old Testament. But I'm also grateful for the New Testament. Because I'd probably be dropping dead right about now too. <laughs> 
but the end result is that when he did that, there was a veil that separated man from God and only an individual can go in. An individual that was supposed to have ritualistically cleansed themselves and prepared themselves for the act. Listen to me. When Jesus said it was finished, that veil was torn. And it was torn in an awkward way. Not normally like you tear things. It was torn in a way that it would have to be God who tore it. And it's so important for us to realize that as we move forward through this, this veil has been torn and we can all approach, we can all enter this place that was not available to us. So all of us can come as we are. And that's the beauty of this. God meets us where we are. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I beseech you, brethren, that you will leave this place with Christ nestled in your heart. And, and that you will come to a place where you begin to allow him to lead your life. Because i got to tell you something. You messed up. Like, really, your picker is off. Like, you, you don't know how to pick people. Right? You, you're still diving into things. And, and listen, been there, done that, experienced that. What's helped me a little bit is that the Holy Spirit constantly reminds me, go left when I want to go right. And the word of God, when I hold it up to my face, is a mirror. And it tells me, you're not lining up to this. And then I have people around me that care enough because we're supposed to grow in community that tell me, hey, man, let's do this together. Let's hold each other accountable because iron sharpens iron, and I don't want to do this on my own because I don't know how. Listen to me. If you're a husband in this room, you don't know how to be a husband until you have Christ in your life. If you're a wife, you don't know how to be a wife until you have Christ in your life. For those who are seeking a wife or a husband, listen to me. You better get down with Jesus before you get down with him. In John chapter 19, verse 30, the message says, it's done, complete. I love the way the message says it because it's so profound in the way Eugene Peterson puts it. When he says it's done, it's complete. The other term is paid in full. Like Jesus showed up on the scene, did what he did, and he paid in full. Not partial, not listen, I'll come back later and I'll take care of that later. No, he paid it in full. That's why the words, it is finished, is so profound because it's not partial payment. It's not a down payment on anything. It is, I paid it in full so that you don't have to. Because at the end of the day, our sin has accumulated so much that we cannot do away with it. Someone had to come to pay for our sin debt. Someone had to come and take on this task to bridge the gap so that now I can have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Now, I know that turns some people off because our relationship with our Father wasn't that good. So when we hear Father, we kind of bug out and say, hey, wait a minute. My Father wasn't that good. What makes him better? And I got to tell you something. Your Father is not God. At the end of the day, God says, I would never abandon or forsake you. I also know that when I got beat by my dad, I don't know who was benefiting from it because I didn't benefit from it. But I know that when my father now, my heavenly father chastised me and he prunes me, he's growing me. He's helping me to build a character that reflects his glory in a human vessel. You will never be the same when you come to Christ. When you accept him, when you allow him to be Lord of your life, you will never be the same. I pause here to say that sometimes we get scared of that. We get scared of change. 
get comfortable in our own skin and our own behavior and make all kinds of excuses for it. But I, I, I would challenge you to, to try to see what Jesus can do with the mess you've created. Because I know what he's done with the mess that I created. It doesn't mean that everything gets cleaned up and wiped away. It means that your sin is forgiven. I love when the prophet says, come, let us reason. You know, we're struggling with things, and he says, man, you know, just come on, you know, let's talk. And you're like, no, nah, I'm done with this. I don't want to go to church. I, I hate those church people. I don't want nothing to do with God. And God says, come, let, let's talk about this. You know, though your sins are as grimson red, I will make them as white as snow. That's what he says. I will wipe them away. I won't cover them. I won't gloss them over. I won't, you know, like, like I won't sweep them under the rug. I'm going to take them away from you. That guilt, that condemnation you feel because of what you're doing. Listen, I've come to remove that from your life. If you would just give me an opportunity. It was all God's plan from the very beginning. Turn to your neighbor and said, it was God's plan. I'm going to read something from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 through 12. Again, it's coming from the message. And again, if you're asking what the message is, it's a translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson. He also does an amazing devotional um, that gives you a devotional every day. But I want you to hear the richness of these words. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12 says this. Still... It was God, it was what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. What's God's plan? That none should perish but that we all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the power that's in his resurrection. This new beginning, this new life, that's his plan. Out of that terrible moment, out of that terrible travail of soul that we know and saw in the video, and let me tell you something, the video was a movie, it was not real life. It was said medically that the people who passed by did not recognize and had to do a double take because they weren't sure if it was an animal or a human being hanging there because how badly his flesh was torn. But he came for that. He came to take on that. It goes on to say, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I will reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors. Listen to me. The highest honor that was given to Jesus is there's no other name in which salvation can be wrought except through Jesus Christ. No one will come to the Father unless through Jesus. No one will inherit eternal life unless you come to Jesus Christ. So my prayer today, my conversation with you is that will you allow him to come into your heart and become your savior, but also become Lord of your life. And the reason that he gave him the greatest honor is because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. I like that. That's a tough guy for me. That's a guy who looks danger in the face and you don't see him blink. 
This is what I came for. This is what I came to do. Because he embraced the company of the lowest. Me first. He took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Come on now. Have you ever felt like the black sheep of the family? Come on now. Like the outcast. The one that just didn't fit in wherever you went. It was like it was awkward. It's like you were in a, like almost like you were watching something and you weren't even involved in it, but you were there. This black sheep is not a good term, and I love how he says it. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. He took on his shoulders the sin of many. He took company with the lowest. Let me tell you something, Recovery House of Worship. If Jesus was here today, he would be right here. He would be right here with us. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hebrew says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear again a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Listen, even the earth groans for the return of Christ. I don't know if you understood what I just said. Even the earth groans. That's why we're getting all this, you know, tornadoes and all that stuff that's going on. Yeah, I know you have a scientific spin to it, but I got to tell you something. When the waters decide that they want to leave their boundaries and go somewhere else, they're groaning for the return of Christ. Because at the end of the day, God is the one that says, that's as far as you can go and you can't go no more. And it's very important for us to realize that even the earth is groaning for the return of Christ. Because there was a moment where everything was perfect. There was a moment where the lamb and the lion lay together. Until this world was broken and sin entered in and then all of a sudden the lion licked his chop and said, mmm, there go dinner. That's what sin does. It changes us from what we're naturally supposed to be into something else. I don't know about you, but there were things that I, in my mind, intended not to do and then wound up doing. There were things I said that I wouldn't do and then wound up getting involved in. It's very powerful when you tell someone you love them and then act as if you do not. But that is a scary thing. Jesus said, I love you and acted as if he did. God said, I love you and I'll give you my son. And that's something that we can bank on because it goes on to say, the message reads, but instead he sacrificed himself once and for all, summing up all other sacrifices in this sacrifice of himself. The final solution of sin. Christ's death was a one-time event and it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. 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 So when he said it is finished, it's not about his life. He came to die so that we could live. But death did not hold him. And that's the powerful thing because historically, the origins of Good Friday, why we call it Good Friday, is not known. Maybe it's a poor translation of a German term, I don't know. But theologically, it's extremely clear that Good Friday is good because the death of Christ, as terrible as it was, led to the resurrection on Easter Sunday, which brought new life to those who believe. Now, the people then would have not have received this the way we receive it now. They would not have clapped and applauded. I don't think if you would have asked Mary, 
If she was like my mom, she probably would have slapped you and said, that's my son. Their hope was hanging on the cross. They were banking on this guy. They were betting on him. This was their Messiah. This was their rabbi. This was the one that was going to usher in the kingdom of God. And now he hung on a cross, barely recognizable, bleeding, the life oozing from him. Paul writes this about his own life. Paul says, I have finished my course. My race is run. My glass is empty. I've been poured out like a drink offering. That's what Paul said. Paul was one of the, in fact, the greatest church planter and apostle that we know of, wrote most of the New Testament. That's the words that he says. He says, my life is no longer mine. I'm done. I've finished the race. I've run it as much as I could. I am poured out like a drink offering. And that's a powerful thing because, listen to me, our sins cannot be covered. Our sins cannot be covered. Maybe I'm speaking to someone in the room today who thinks that nobody knows. God knows. God knows that he wants to have a relationship with you. But that one thing, that, that thing that you continue to polish and to shine and to smile at occasionally, God is saying, that can't be greater than me. That, that can't be what you are putting your hope and your life on. You see, it wasn't that thing that died at the cross for you. It was me. So with every breath he took, every lifting up of his body and every lowering of his body and every lifting up and lowering down, I can only imagine that he had me on his mind. And not what I was, but what I could become if I surrender and yield to his lordship. And first and foremost, the thing we have to do is we have to accept Christ. We have to accept that he says who he says he is and done what he's done and he will return. Oftentimes, we have this novelty of Christ. We get T-shirts and hacks, and, you know, we walk around, and we get tatted up, and, you know, we're saying Jesus, and wear WWJD bracelets, and we're going around, hallelujah, and glory to God. But the Bible says they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And it's your heart that God wants to grab a hold of. It is your heart which is wicked, according to the prophet. If there's no good thing in your heart, you're full of emotions and feelings. When you feel like it, you do it. Hence... Easter weekend. It's important for us to realize that God wants to take that heart of stone that's been hardened because of everything that has happened to us. Everything that has occurred in our lives has caused wounds in our lives. People that said they loved us and turned on us. People that said that they would always be there and then when we needed them the most they weren't there. People that were supposed to take care of us because of their title and their position and never took care of us the way they were supposed to. I understand that. God understands that. Jesus Christ understood that. But he says, I will never abandon or forsake you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you wherever you are, wherever you're doing, wherever you go. I'm going to be with you. If you would just give me the opportunity to listen, I paid your debt in full. You owe me an opportunity. I took care of your sin debt, past, you say, I don't know if you understand the magnitude of that. What you're going to do tomorrow is paid for already. What you're going to do the next is paid for already. It's just taken care of because of what Jesus did. So it's not a matter of you trying to get good. 
You know, some of us, I don't know, I've invited people to church and says, man, you know, you know what the common thing is, right? If I show up to church, it's going to fall down. <laughs> what are you, an atomic bomb? Like, really? <laughs> right? No, man, I got to get the right outfit to come to church. No, you don't. Come as you are. He'll meet you where you are. He'll meet you right there. So we stop struggling with it. We stop trying to get good. Stop trying to figure it out. It is finished. It is done. It has been paid in full. Your sin debt has been paid. All you have to do now is begin to trust in him. Begin to lean towards him. I don't know, some of you are here because you're invited. Some of you are here because Easter weekend and you want to get your one time a year kind of thing going on. But I got to tell you something. That's not what this is. This is a divine appointment. This is an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. This is not an opportunity for you to just come in and leave this place as you are and say, hey, I went to church. You know, so you're going to have a novel conversation around the water cooler at work. No, this is not about church. This is about what Jesus did at the cross for you and me. I could never pay my sin debt. I don't have that much. Not only that, but at the end of the day, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. That means someone had to die. Someone had to die, and they had to be perfect. They had to be without sin, and that's another thing that people don't understand. He who was without sin became sin for us. Like, like I would never do that. I would never take on your sin. I would look at you and say, you're crazy. You know, I I would never do that. And if Jesus was to ask me, hey, you know, Gus, you know, you want me to die for you? I said, listen, don't waste your time, bro. Go go down the block. Go see somebody else. I'm not worth it. But, But there's an intrinsic value in you. There is a value that's been placed in you by God. There is a unique thumbprint that he's placed upon you. There is a gift and an ability that he's given you for his glory to be used for the edification of the church, not for your own pursuits. And at the end of the day, we lose sight of that. Historically, listen to me, this happened. Josephus writes about this, who was an, 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 a Jewish historian. Or oh, 3,000 years, he writes about this. Isaiah, what I just read to you, wrote 800 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. This is not uh, so proper. This is not me trying to convince you or twist you. It's not an opium to get you high so that I can control you. No, it is real. Jesus Christ said it is finished. He paid our sin debt. He took it upon himself so that you don't have to keep struggling. You don't have to keep trying. You don't have to keep trying to get good. Listen, how many detoxes is going to take? How many rehabs is it going to take? How many divorces? How many institutions? How much jail time is it going to take for you to change? Some of us are hard-headed. We got to go that route. But here's what I know. He even goes before us and meets us there. And there are moments where he knocks on our hearts and invites and says, hey, listen, I'm here for you. I'm here for you and I want to be here. So here's what it says. No sin 
of a believer can now be an arrow to mortally wound him. No more can condemnation be a sword to kill him. For the punishment of sin was borne by Christ. The full price was paid by our blessed substitute, Jesus Christ. Here's a powerful thing. So who can accuse you now? I tell you who accuses us every single day. Stop looking around. There's not no one in this room. Okay. It's the enemy. It's the enemy. Listen to me, young people who are in the room. There is a calling upon your life. There is a purpose and a plan that God has established. If he gets you young, then he'll diminish what he wants to do in your life. It'll take you a while to get back. And some of us don't get back. For you older folk who are in this room like me, your latter years will be greater than your previous years if you surrender to Jesus Christ. Your, your, your time in Christ will be much more significant than your time without Christ. I know that to be true today. I'm a better person today, not because I can jump higher or run higher, although I cannot anymore. It's because of Jesus. I've invited him into my life, and I've made him Lord of my life. And it has not been easy. I don't stand before you with wings flapping under my jacket. I don't have a halo, nor do I walk on water. I wake up every morning, and I ask God to help me. And just for today, God help me not to kill anybody. Come on now. I know I'll hear about that later, but, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And at the end of the day, God allows me to see through his eyes and realize that there are people that are living without his love. There are people who are suffering. There are people. And then he reminds me, he whispers in my ear and he tells me, that was you. That was you. And I'm like, no, that wasn't me, God. He says, yeah, that was you. Someone told me the other day, if you, if you see it and you got it, or you, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. I love those one-liners from recovery. I, I've gotta, gotta get a, we got to get a book about those things, right? We have a book. Don't we, Rich, already? If you spot it, you got it. And oftentimes what God is trying to do is he's trying to sandpaper you down. The very thing that you wore once, God puts you around people so you can grow that way. You know, I prayed for years for patience. What does he do? He makes me a pastor. You know, PP, you know, pastor, patience. It's amazing that, you know, we have to be careful what we pray for. Right? And, but, but some of us, listen to us, some of us have had these foxhole prayers. Some of us have said, God, help me. And then what bothers me about that is that we question the manner in which help comes. You say, God, help me, and then he locks you up, and you're like, oh, God, why didn't you do this? Well, I, need, I needed to get you alone and get your attention because you weren't listening to me, and don't worry about it. You know, it's a 6-5 split. You'll be out in six months. Don't worry about it. <laughs> At the end of the day, Jesus said, it is finished so that you 
will not be finished. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is healing in Jesus Christ. There is salvation and deliverance in Jesus Christ. There is a power in the name of Jesus like no other. No other. So what are you going to do? There, there are two things I want to do before we close. Well, I'll cancel the second one, which was to show the film again. I don't think you need to see it again. Okay? But, but I wanted to ask you, where are you today in this, in this moment? In this moment with Jesus? Because at the end of the day, this happened. And it happened to meet you where you are so that you can say yes to him and no to this world. And in doing so, listen, here's what people think. People think that saying yes to Jesus will suddenly propel you into a place where everything is wonderful. It's not so. What it's going to begin to do is going to give you a God conscience. And what you used to do before and love doing will begin to wear on you. It will begin to wear on you in such a way that you begin to feel the weight of it. And it's not condemnation, but conviction, because you'll be reminded of his love. You will be reminded of his sacrifice. You will be reminded that he didn't die so you can keep on sinning. And slowly but surely, listen to me, if you're in Christ, you are better off today than you were yesterday. You are better off. And if you're not in Christ, it's going to get worse. That's not a threat. That's not a warning. It's going to get worse. Listen to me. At 15, I was, I was called. I was laid hands on in a small church in the Lower East Side. I walked in to do a favor to somebody who had come to Christ who was harassing me about coming to church. And uh, we went in, and I had all my goods on me. And I made a mistake of walking in on prayer night. And uh, it was kind of dim. Have you ever been to a prayer service? The lights are kind of dim. They got soft music going. And I was tired, and I saw a couple of people laying in the front, so I figured that's the place to rest. <laughs> And I just rested. And out of nowhere, a bunch of people just laid hands on me. I didn't know what it was then, but I know what it was today. God took that moment and said, now mind you, I went out that night and got high. For 14 years, I ran. I pulled the Jonah every moment I could. It got worse. It, I thought 15 was rough. 16 was rougher. 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 went on and on and on. And I, I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir because you know. You know how bad it is if you're not in Christ right now. But it can get worse and it will get worse because pain is the best way for God to get your attention. Because you won't listen to anybody else. You won't listen to the people around you. You watch shows on TV like Intervention and you change the channel or go to the bathroom. God 
is telling you today, I am inviting you into a relationship with me. I want to live and reign and rule your life. And if you just give me an opportunity, if you just give me, you will live this 10 life. John 10, 10 says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. You will live a 10 life. Why would you settle for a six if you could be a 10? Why would you settle for that? Your sin debt has been paid in full. So if you're here tonight, right now, this moment is your time. Nobody else's time. And people, if you're saved, you should start praying right right now that the friend you brought with you would say yes to Jesus Christ. Because that's the reason you're inviting him, to listen to the message, to listen to the gospel. So if you're in this room, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. And listen, listen to me. This is not about anything else but you sitting in your seat. The invitation that was made here today was not so you can hear someone preach, but so that you can hear the message of love. That's what this is. The video was played so that you can get an inkling of what, what was done. And the words, it is finished, is not that his life was finished. Because by the way, Friday happened, but Sundays are coming. And if you're without Christ, listen to me. If you're without Christ, you may be alive, but you're dead. You're dead. That's the reality of it. I can't paint it any better. I'm not an artist. I'm just proclaiming the truth. If you're living without Christ, you are dead. So today is your moment right now. In, 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 in a few seconds, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are. If you want to leave this place with Jesus Christ, and listen to me, the only thing that will happen is that you'll move from death to life. Your name will be written in the book of life. You know what I love most about that? That when that happens, Christ begins to dispatch his angels to begin to help you. He will give you a church where you can grow. He will give you people who will harass you. And keep calling you. And keep inviting you. And they'll say, let's go out for coffee. Let's go have sushi. Let's go make a meeting. But I got to tell you what they want is they don't want you to go to hell. They want to introduce you to the gospel. They want to introduce you to the love of Jesus Christ. So if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, at the count of three, I want you to stand. And we will pray with you. We will love on you. Listen to me. Listen to me, please. I know what you're feeling if you're in here without Jesus. When I came to church 25 years ago, I fought with this moment. I fought with this moment. I shook in my chair. And I didn't get up. Because I was concerned about what someone would think about me. I was in church. There was an invitation for my life to change. And I was concerned with what people thought about me. I want to celebrate today. I want to celebrate that someone would say yes to Jesus Christ. Because if someone says yes to Jesus in heaven, there will be a celebration. There will be a celebration. 
when he gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. He paid our debt in full. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, just know this. When he said, it is finished. When he breathed his last breath, he had you in mind. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior.